Merry Christmas. I am Pastor Chris, and there are two things you need to know about me. One, my belt is working <laughs> for the moment. Second, I, exactly. Second, I am feeling a little bit under the weather, and so I do not normally have a voice that is so deep, so late night radio DJ, or dare I say it in church as Pastor John has described it, sexy. So. <laughs> I want to say thank you. Thank you to all of you for coming to Grace to spend some of your Christmas time with us. We welcome those of you who are here for the first time. We welcome those of you who have been here more times than you can count. And we welcome all of you who fall somewhere in between. Some of you are here tonight and you've been looking forward to this day and couldn't wait to be here. To hear and sing and worship through the beloved carols we just participated in, the message, the prayers, the joy of Holy Communion. For others of you, let's be honest, being here was not your first choice. Maybe you are here because it matters to someone you love. Maybe you are here to avoid a guilt trip or a lecture, and therefore to ensure a peaceful and uneventful Christmas dinner with your family. Or perhaps, for some of us, there's a sadder reason you're here. You've come tonight heavy-hearted, longing, for some light in the midst of your darkness, a little healing, a bit of comfort in the throes of your pain. And then there may be, among us, some who have no idea why you came. Nostalgia, was it? A strange impulse you followed? You just happened to notice the banner on the outside of the building at the top of our webpage on a pop-up Facebook ad and decided to drop by. I'm especially grateful that you're here too. Whether you skipped or stumbled here, whether you were dragged kicking and screaming or just wandered in, thank you for coming, for being a part of not just a service, but of our community, our family tonight. And my Christmas wish is that each of you will leave here feeling better, more whole, more encouraged, more beloved, and that you will find yourself closer to the God I know and his kingdom than when you arrived. We've already heard the Christmas story, and we know all the characters in this story so well, don't we? I mean, we carefully arrange them as figures in our home nativity sets. We know all the characters in this story, and from memory, we can recount, most of us, the details of this story too. An angel made a big announcement. Mary and Joseph had a baby. Shepherds came to visit, and wise men too, because God came down. God became man as Jesus was born and laid in a manger. We know all the characters, we know the details, but the question we return to every time we get to this day is do we get the point? Do we understand the point of the story? In the midst of all the buildup that gets us here, what does all that have to do with all this? What do all the lights and the tinsel, all the giving and the presents, all the holly and the jolly have to do with what brings us here tonight? To answer that question, I'd like, to, I'd like us now to listen to perhaps the most famous commentary written about the Christmas story. A part of the Bible, in fact, so familiar the world over that many people actually know it better than the Christmas story. And surprisingly, it's not found in the Gospels of Luke or Matthew who give us the Christmas story, we know. It's found in the Gospel of John who doesn't give us a Christmas story at all. Just a poetic prologue that speaks of the word and the light 
of grace and truth and the birth of the children of God. The brief commentary that I'm referring to arrives in the third chapter of John, and it's actually part of a larger conversation that takes place between two people. But you'd never realize that when you see this scripture reference held up for display at a sporting event. In fact, all we normally see is the first verse of it written on that one sign in a crowd of people. But I'd like you to close your eyes, or if you have a Bible with you, to open it as I read the whole thing from John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. John writes, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what he has done has been done through God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, It may seem odd to you to pick a passage like this on Christmas Eve, but for me, John 3.16 through 21 is the Christmas text. Despite lacking the details of the other Gospels, John tells us the what. God has given us his one and only Son, but even more importantly, John tells us the why. Because God so loved the world. What is the point of the Christmas story? Why do we have reason to celebrate? Because our creator, our God who made us, the God who sustains us, loves us. And out of this love, this God, our God, was motivated to come to us in person, to be with us. As relational beings, you and I, we inherently seek companionship. Our lives, in fact, are built and sustained around the personal presence of those whom we care for and those who care about us. These relationships born of family, of friendship, and marriage cannot be maintained, however, indefinitely from a distance. Photographs, memories, letters, emails, text messages, phone calls may fill that distance for a time, but they are not ultimately enough. We long, we need to have and experience the actual presence of those who fill our minds and let us live in their hearts. Medical science, in fact, confirms our very lives depend upon that physical contact, that living presence. My friends, the reality of Christmas, of what happened thousands of years ago in a little town called Bethlehem, is that God seeks to be with us. That God always has us on his mind, and that we forever remain in God's heart. God comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ to let us know we are not alone. We are not forgotten, and he isn't willing for his love to remain at a distance. As John expresses it back in his chapter one prologue, the word that was God did not send a letter a phone call, an email, or a text message. The word was no longer content to be delivered even by a prophet or a divine oracle sent from heaven. No, through Mary, the word became flesh, visibly drawing close to real people in real time and dwelt among us. 
God came down from heaven, not as a polite observer of the species called humanity, but as one of us, to be with us, to repair, to restore a broken, a missing point of contact, a relationship vital above all others to our life and well-being. And so the creator of everything became confined to the same blood, bone, muscle, beating heart, pulsing arteries, and neuron firing across synapses that we are. The Lord of all creation became subject to the thoughts, emotions, experiences, memories, and the sense we try to make of them. The author of time and space as we perceive them became bound by the same body, mind, and soul that we are. All out of love. And the nature of this love is further clarified by John in verse 17. Indeed, he writes, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. My friends, in Jesus Christ, God entered into our existence to love even those of us who were not aware of how our life lacked the love of God. God moved toward us even though we were moving away from God. So if you sit here today and God is the farthest from your mind and maybe even absent from your heart, Christmas declares God is still mindful of you. Not with rebuke or scorn, but with an open and loving heart. John underscores this when he tells us God does not condemn anyone. God does not condemn anyone. Oh, how we need to remember these words at a time when so many want to sit in judgment on others or question the value of people whose experiences and perspectives are foreign to them. As we gather today, we need to remember the child who was born to us this day grew to become a man who welcomed and invited everyone. If we would seek you and I together to represent well the Christ who makes this season possible, then we would do well to care less about the war on Christmas condemning those who do not share or even represent our faith and engage more in loving everyone. For as John makes clear, crystal clear, it is for all the world that Christ came. Even among those who receive him not, who deny God entirely or vigilantly oppose his existence, God still comes not to see any perish, but for all to be saved. Still, to the skeptic among us tonight who has been disappointed by the witness of the church or who has wrongfully, sadly, suffered the scorn and abuse of a so-called Christian and therefore looks doubtfully upon the promise of such unconditional love delivered through a helpless baby, we must continue to look beyond the manger and continue to see the cross. We must continue to look ahead beyond Bethlehem to see the certification of this unconditional promise of love given freely in blood, sweat, and tears as this child of blessing becomes the man of sorrows hung on a cross at Calvary. In Jesus Christ, the meaning of Christmas is God comes to be with us. Amen. But let us not forget the meaning of Christmas is also God comes to be for us too, to die for us to face and forgive, to endure and to conquer the mess we make of our lives and of this world and the thousands of casualties which result, of which our physical death is but the last straw. 
John makes it very clear. It is not God's will to condemn anyone. God does not condemn. It is we who condemn. We who shame and guilt ourselves when we reject the unconditional love God offers us. And when we do, it is not that God cannot or will not love us. It is that we refuse to be loved. As John describes it, we choose instead to love the darkness, to stick with the snake that bit us, the thrill, the rush, the high of all those things that are oh so wrong but feel oh so right, that we realize are going to catch up with us one day and kill us. We choose the devil we know rather than the God who seeks for us to know him. But it doesn't have to be this way. John is emphatic. God in Christ comes to save us. We've probably heard this before. But do we understand the nature of this salvation God seeks to give? Because you see, the true meaning of Christmas has long been shortchanged as we've turned this gift of salvation into a fire rescue or a last-minute parole before a death sentence. And don't get me wrong, getting rescued when you're in trouble, being pardoned when you're guilty, both are great and certainly appreciated in the moment. However, if that's all salvation is, if all God is about is crisis management, showing up and granting a miracle or fixing a problem whenever we're in need, that's not much of a relationship, let alone true salvation. And if we're really going to push it, it's not really all that loving, is it? In all our other relationships, don't we consider the person who always bails us out, the one who just keeps cleaning up the other person's mess, an enabler? Part of the problem rather than the solution? And if we go further, this picture of God, this view of salvation that many of us hold to, doesn't play out practically, does it? Because God doesn't always resolve our difficulties. God doesn't always take away our obstacles. God doesn't always magically repair what we break. There are a lot of us sitting here tonight who are confused or disappointed because of what we were told about God, how God works, and yet it doesn't line up with what we're experiencing. So what's the deal? John tells us. God comes down in Christ to save us so we would not perish. But that salvation is not about our daily crisis management or an insurance policy we tuck away to pull out when our last breath is coming. No, John writes, Jesus comes to give us eternal life. And the way Jesus will talk about it, contrary to maybe what you've heard, the way Jesus will talk about it, eternal life is more than going to heaven. The way Jesus will talk about it, the the way Jesus will picture it, describe it, eternal life is essentially life lived with God. It's the kind of gift you see that's not a possession we hold on to. It's the kind of gift that's a relationship. The loving God possesses us and grabs hold and refuses to let go. A possession is something we hold on to and let go of, but a relationship is a process, something that begins that, the moment that that love embraces us and continues to shape us even beyond death. Receiving eternal life as a relationship with God rather than a possession from God means we recognize salvation isn't God showing up when we think we need him, when we ask him to do something we want. Salvation is God being present all the time with us, teaching us, guiding us, leading us into a fuller and deeper awareness of who he is and who we are in him. 
Beloved, God isn't Santa Claus. He doesn't give us things based upon whether we're naughty or nice. He doesn't drop coal in our stocking to teach us a lesson. God gives us what we need. God gives us what we need, even though painfully, we may not want what we are receiving. God gives us what we need, even when frustratingly, we may want something different. God is with us. God is for us. God is working even when we don't understand or agree with what God is or isn't doing. To put this differently, God didn't come down in Jesus Christ to be our lifeguard. God didn't come down in Jesus Christ to be our lifeguard, standing at the ready, waiting to rescue us when we are drowning. God came down in Jesus Christ to be our life changer through the truth of his love and the power of his grace to teach us to swim, to enable us to endure every current, to empower us to ride every wave. You see, to say God is with us in Christ is to understand Jesus comes to model for us what it means to be truly and fully human, to have the relationship with God, with others, the relationship with ourselves that we were made for. To say that God is with us in Jesus Christ is to understand that Jesus comes not just to model, but to empower us to gradually and increasingly transform into whom we were created to be. To experience and grow into that reality that John calls eternal life. How does this happen? How do we enter into this reality? How do we receive the gift of Christmas? Thankfully, John 3, 16 through 21 is part of an earlier conversation, as I mentioned. Uh, it's actually a further explanation of what transpired between Jesus and an educated and religious man named Nicodemus. Let me give you the skinny on what came before. Because looking back upon their dialogue, we can better understand how we are to respond to the meaning of Christmas, how we are to receive this gift of eternal life. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and just like all of us tonight, he's been invited to cross over the threshold of a broken, unforgiving, and finite world into a wholly new, unconditionally loving, absolutely forgiving, and eternal life with God. And according to Jesus, all jolly old St. Nicodemus needs to do to enter this reality is to be born again, to be born anew, to be born from above. How do we receive this gift of Christmas? How do we enter into this reality? According to Jesus to Nicodemus, and thereby extension to us, the work required for our delivery unto salvation, into eternal life, this fullness of relationship with God, with others, with ourselves, is not our work. It is the work of God, the Spirit of God. Now, you don't know that part of the conversation if you haven't been with us, but when Nicodemus hears this, it's hard for him to accept Maybe you can relate. Nicodemus has a hard time taking this in because Nicodemus is used to thinking in terms of being a self-made person. He's a guy who believes we get what we earn. Nicodemus is a guy who believes that God helps those who help themselves. Can you relate? But John tells us in the scripture we heard tonight that the light of Christ comes into the world to expose the limits and cracks in our humanity apart from God. The light of Christ comes to expose the way we fritter away our lives in aimless worry and hopeless despair. The light of Christ comes to expose the evil that we do even when we perceive we are doing good. 
The light of Christ comes into the world to expose the imperfection in our practices of charity and our systems of justice, the flaws and the abuses that occur even when we try to legislate ethics and morality. Nicodemus, and maybe you can relate, was looking at things in terms of assent, that we've got to claw our way to the top. But the true meaning of Christmas, my friends, is not one of ascent, it's one of descent. God comes down to be with us because we cannot help ourselves. Do we finally get it? Do we see that the gift of Christmas is not just the end result? It's not just about forgiveness. It's not just about redemption. It's not just getting peace or eternal life. But the very gift of Christmas is not just the end result, but the very work itself that gets us to those places. The journey of transformation as we become who we were always meant to be. That is the full gift of Christmas. Unto us, a son is given so that we might be fleshed out, born anew, born again, not as adults, not as grown-ups, but as children, the children of God, who once again believe without doubt, who once again love without fear, who once again imagine nothing is impossible. Are you ready to be born anew? Because you see, on this silent and beautiful night, as we share this sacred story once again, we cannot leave this place reducing this story. We cannot leave this place reducing the meaning of Christmas to simply a sweet story about a baby who grows up to offer us a way out. Because if we don't understand what we leave here tonight hearing is an announcement that today is not so much about his birthday as it is ours. Each of us is a new Nazareth where Christ is conceived. Each of us is a new Bethlehem where Jesus is born. My friends, if you came here tonight to just take a look at the baby, maybe hold him for a spell, surprise, this baby came to take a look at you, to see you, to hold you in his embrace. If you weren't expecting to receive a gift like this, if you don't know what to do with this child, I don't know much about birth and no babies. If you don't know how to raise him in your life, this one named Jesus, fear not. He came to raise you from the limits of the life you have known to the possibility and promise of eternal life with God. All you have to do, like Nicodemus, all we have to do, like Mary, to receive this gift is to say yes. Yes to the Lord. Yes to embracing the person of Christ. Yes to the invitation of our rebirth. Yes to our new life in him. My friends, I wish you a Merry Christmas. And I pray that your Christmas is not left here, but continues through the next year and beyond by continuing to allow Christ to be born anew in you. Amen.